the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Good morning. Welcome to day three of this run of bonus edition Lloyd's List podcasts, bringing you voices from inside London International Shipping Week. I hope that those of you out and about in the thick of it this week are enjoying getting back to -to face-to-face meetings, but for those of you unable to attend, consider this your window into what's happening around the conference. This being London Shipping Week, uh, we've been besieged by bullish statements championing the UK's leadership position in the maritime sector. I was at the launch of the UK Department for Transport's biennial maritime report yesterday, where Shipping Minister Robert Courts essentially confirmed that the UK was on track with its flagship Maritime 2050 strategy, adding a flourish of post-Brexit autonomy and lashings of Boris-flavoured economic decarbonisation sprinkles on top. We're building back greener and better. We are at the forefront of technological innovation. And of course, the strength of the UK maritime cluster remains the epicentre of excellence in global maritime services. We're going to allow a certain degree of latitude for the patriotic drum beating this week, but it does feel like there is at least now some clarity in the direction of post-Brexit UK shipping. So I'm delighted to say that I'm joined today for this special London Shipping Week edition by someone who I would credit with steering the UK maritime sector back on course, at least in part. Katie Ware, Director of UK Maritime Services at the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency and Permanent Representative of the UK to the IMO. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. Thank you, Richard. Good morning to everybody. Um, Hope you all enjoy a pleasant shipping week. Now, last London Shipping Week, you came out fighting in the wake of uh, a pre-Brexit volume slump, shall we say, with a new vision to make the UK flag the world's best performing international flag. Since then, we've seen a lot of consultation happening in the background, the details of which even made it to the front page of the Financial Times at one point, with headlines suggesting that the UK was set to rival Singapore. So what's the truth of the situation? How would you characterise UK shipping and the flag post-Brexit? So... Post Brexit, you know, it's done, it's dusted. Uh, we did have that huge slump. I am pleased to say that we are holding our own. We're sitting in around the 10.6 million gross tons, which I'm reasonably comfortable with, especially since the world got turned on its head. You know, we've had a small growth this year, 1.7%. And in terms of tonnage, I am very comfortable with that, Richard. We're held in our own. You know, the markets, it's a difficult market to, to, to penetrate at the moment, what with everything, everything that's going on. World's best performing flag, I still stand by that as our key ambition, absolutely. And, and just to sort of give some clarity of to what we mean by world's best performing flag, that doesn't necessarily mean being the biggest or sitting on the top of every single league table. For me and for the team, you know, it's about showing value add to the customers, you know, by protecting their reputations, supporting them through professional services, helping customers deal with the unexpected, and also supporting customers through the future change. So really, that's what it means to us and my team about being the world's best performing flag. Now, just to make some clarification, on the uh, the FT piece, All I can say is that we are working with officials across government. 
an opportunity to grow UK maritime business. Um, and the communications on that will come through the usual channels where the necessary policy decisions uh, have been made, Richard. And that is really all I can say for now. And there's me thinking you were going to give the lawyers this podcast an exclusive, Katie. I'm disappointed. But I would expect Not nothing. today. Not today. At some point soon, no doubt. Um, but the point is that the focus isn't the numbers. Uh, you've been quite clear about that for some time. It's about quality. And on those metrics, you do seem to be uh, gaining a lot of traction. The, the UK flag has a good reputation. Even those who left during Brexit did so for uh, pretty valid reasons, not for any criticism of the flag itself. And that really was at the heart of your your quality plan. Do you think that that is a message that is now getting through to the right place? You know, you're in the middle of London Shipping Week. Presumably those conversations are ongoing. What's the sort of the general feel from the people you're talking to that could be UK flag customers? Yeah, so feedback and uh, you know that we've had is that we maintain very high standards and those high standards actually let our operators um, realize their commercial objectives that we've become over the last couple of years trusted partners we've changed to a place that's been very much more flexible and that the support that they've received from the UK flag has been first class and you know, as I said, the world's been turned on its head, but I think we as a flag have really come into our own during the COVID. You know, we, in some respects, we turned flag blind. So we've mm. been allowed to expose ourselves to customers and supporting those customers that not necessarily on the UK flag, um, but we have supported them, especially in the, in the cruise industry. So I think that we are building a reputation. And what I would say as well is, you know, we are not just a ship registry. The ship registry is part of UK Maritime Services. We've chosen that relaunch of a name for a very specific reason, because that is what we're trying to deliver to our customers now, a maritime service. So there's integrated services, digital services, expert technical advice, policy consultation. We've got done a lot of international diplomacy support during the COVID, um, you know, seafarers and how we support those seafarers. So it is an all-encompassing package that the flag is looking to to offer. Mm. And do you, I mean, over the last 18 months or so, those issues have become much more important than I think perhaps they once were. There was previously, I would argue, you know, more of a focus on, on price uh, and the ability to do certain things. What we've seen through the pandemic is the importance of government policy, the importance of transparency. Security issues are no longer something that can be ignored. Um, the link back to a government that actually supports the um, running of the flag in a tangible way and isn't just a brass plate company offshore is much more important than it ever was. Do you think that that is now changing the mind of ship owners in terms of some of the decisions they are making where quality is not just a question of price. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the pandemic has been horrific and to to watch the industry go through what it went through, particularly, for example, the cruise sector, you know, I think it's changing their hearts and minds that it's not necessarily the price ticket that's important. You know, 
the ability for a flag state to step in, to support them, to have an open mind, to be flexible, to have the technical expertise that we can spin things around on a sixpence to, to help and support them. I think we've really shown our strength in that area over the last 18 months. And I think that's really, I hate to say there's opportunities coming out of COVID, but you know, COVID has meant it's great for us, you know, we've broken those shackles have been restricted very much by that civil service way of doing. We've had to move to this place of having to work at pace. The teams, it's been hard for the teams, but we've had to do it. You know, we can't procrastinate on decisions. We need to make technical decisions here and now, you know, to keep lifeline services moving, to keep goods coming into the country. And and we will not, and there's very much the feedback from the customers is, Katie, you and the team and UK Maritime Services, please don't go back to the old ways. And I think the teams have really enjoyed the opportunity to be able to work at pace. Um, the mm. other thing is the, the crisis has allowed us to introduce digital systems at quite a pace that would normally have taken us two, three years, Richard. We were able to bring in digitalization at, at quite a, a fast pace. That flexibility uh, and independence that was always a key part of the argument and clearly that's important the flip side of that of course is that you perhaps lack the uh, bargaining power the negotiation that uh, went with being part of the eu block um you know when we are obviously dealing with big international issues like decarbonization has been sort of the obvious topic this week during london shipping week do you think that the position now in any way is lacking in terms of the UK's ability to have a voice as an independent nation rather than part of a, a large trading bloc like the EU? No, absolutely not. And uh, I know there was some scepticism about would the UK hold its position at the IMO, one thing and another. But no, I am absolutely comfortable that we are still, even outside of that block, I don't think it's a detriment to us. I mean, we have like-minded member states beyond the um, EU, which we've always worked with. So we are still part of a block. And when it comes to decarbonisation at the IMO, we're part of the high ambition block. So, you know, we've got other partners beyond just our EU partners. So, no, I don't feel that we're a lone voice on those difficult, very difficult issues, Richard. Fair enough, fair enough. And if I was going to press you and uh, get you to get out your crystal ball and, and and think about what you're going to be talking to me by next London Shipping Week. What's the vision? What's the immediate sort of priorities for you and for UK Maritime as far as you can see? So for UK, for, for me and for the UK Maritime, it really is future technologies and the decarbonisation piece um, and also about modernising seafarers education and I'll come to that last so just so you know Richard we now have within the MCA set up a maritime futures technologies team that was a commitment that we made at the last shipping week about being able to support industry on tackling these really difficult issues of decarbonisation and autonomous shipping so we've applied significant resource into that area we've built up a team you know and a key priority for them is that you know maritime operates under prescriptive frameworks and we now just need to support them and provide certainty so that we can support innovation at a scale and, and help our industry partners with it um 
there is the decarbonisation piece, you know, as government as a whole, we're committed to achieving legally binding targets, both domestically and internationally. Um, you know, the international and the domestic pictures are a little bit different. Um, I would just say that we're not backing any specific fuel type, but what we are what we're doing as an agency is we're asking the questions around what are those barriers to decarbonisation that the government needs to overcome? Um, you know, there'll be some short-term measures, some long-term measures. Um, we've been working on a hypothesis of what we think the short-term and the long-term will be. Um, so that's a really big thing for us. So I'm hoping that in two years' time, actually, there'll be some more substance to the discussions and the projects around the decarbonisation. You know, this has really got to be be grasped now so that's a key thing for me and the other thing that we're embarking on is the modernization of maritime education um, we've done a lot of work uh, our chief executives on the maritime skills commission uh, there was a cadet review working group that's been set up um, we really do want to modernize that education system so that we can attract much better uh, stem students that we can retain them you know that they get a better experience on board, will overhaul um, the funding. But also, again, that ties heavily into the decarbonisation piece, Richard. The future seafarer is a very different, possibly a very different human being on a different competencies and skill set and leadership cells to what we see, see currently. So it's not just about bringing the maritime education system in line with what a normal and everyday student would expect to experience but it's about okay what skills and competencies do these individuals need to be taught now to cope with the, the, the future changes that we're going to have with technologies wonderful i know your list didn't include domination of singapore and uh, various other things so i'm just going to have to assume that the uh, exclusive is going to come to us not the financial times by before next london shipping week but for now, uh, Katie Ware uh, from UK Maritime Services, thank you very much for joining the Lloyd's List podcast. Thank you, Richard. Have a good day.